all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 184 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Matt is not properly prepared episode of the SLS cast. Because it turns out there is nothing fucking special at all about the number 184, our episode count. And that's what we're going with. And continuing in the series of... Matt and Tim are together, looking at each other and staring longingly into each other's <laughs> and, eyes. And making pots, <laughs> yes, making clay pots. And listening to the Righteous Brothers in the background. Um, I, of course, am Matt. And still approximately three and a half feet away from me here in sunny, stormy Texas would be... Tim! Well, it's actually pretty nice today. Well, yeah, it was kind of wonky and sunny, but it's supposed to thunderstorm at some point today. Really? And then it's supposed yeah. to be really good for the next three days or so. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. Oh, and in case I didn't mention it last time or this time, our resident Sony employee... Tim! Yes! <laughs> <clears throat> so, how have things been for the last week and not the last eight minutes or so? Yes, well... <laughs> It's been good. You know, I, I had some coffee, uh, some water. Um, I went pee. That was nice. I did notice that um, fancy kids' toothbrushes seem to have always been like a consistent thing over the years. Yes, anything to make uh, the dental world appealing to children is necessary. There's nothing like brushing your teeth with something that looks like a Crayola marker. Yes. Well, my kids, it might be a Crayola marker. Um, really? Have they brushed their teeth with a marker? No, but they're kids. They've done equally stupid things. So, as all kids have done, as we have done, as I have done, kids do stupid things. Have your kids played any horrible pranks on you yet? No. No, they... Not yet. It'll be interesting to see what they come up with, though. So as a kid, I guess this could be attested to what was considered as kids' movies back in the, back in the day. <laughs> but I was a big fan of Home Alone 2, and I, I think my dad made me upset. And I thought, I'm going to get him back. I'm going to pull a Macaulay Culkin Home Alone prank on him. Wow. So I devised traps in my bedroom that ended with, from the ceiling, a he would uh, trip over a wire after all this other stuff happened. Uh, and a, you know those big tin popcorn things you'd get on Christmas where oh, yeah, it's divided sure, to like sure. the caramel corn and the... Yeah, cheese popcorn yeah, and yeah, butter yeah, popcorn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would end with it falling on his head. And it did. And he fell over onto the ground and laid there for about 35 minutes. For a couple reasons, I think. <laughs> Either A, he was being cool and, uh, and, and, you know, just was playing along just to kind of fuck with us a little bit. Two, something actually happened, and he realized how shitty, how how much of a shitty child he raised. Or, <laughs> or the three, he was trying to suppress all that anger and not want to immediately get up and kill me and destroy it. Yes, for doing that type of thing. So yeah, I mean that was a child of. The late late eighties, early nineties. Did you do anything like that? Did I you did. Do- I did. Okay, so. Um, 
I, I was raised on a steady diet of Looney Tunes and Disney and whatever else and stuff, but um, I really enjoyed the Duck Dodgers stuff with, with Daffy Duck and Porky Pig and whatnot and Marvin the Martian, um, among other things. And so I distinctly remember watching this one episode one day um, where Daffy Duck runs like he's supercharged up with his super suit or whatever, and he runs through. It goes to run through this door, and he hits the door thinking he's going to break the door down, but of course he bounces off of it and hurts himself, and he's all flat billed and everything like that, right? Yeah. So later that day, my parents are getting ready to go somewhere. We were getting ready to go out for the day, and their door was locked, right? And so I knock on the door, and they're like, "Matthew, not right now. Come back later, or whatever. Fine." You know, because they were getting ready. And so I'm like, oh, I want to come in and hang out with you. Matthew, we're getting ready. Just, you know, go watch TV or something. And so I was like, aha, I know what I'll do. I will uh, pretend to hit the door like Daffy Duck and fall backwards and everything, right? And then they'll come out and see me and, you know, then I can go inside, right? So I, I just yelled from the end of the hall, it's Duck. Dodgers of the 24th and a half century yelled it to the top of my lungs and ran that door, right? Run all the way down to the door. And I, again, my plan is to hit the door like Daffy Duck and fall back, you know, and be silly about it, but thinking they would open the door. I busted through the whole fucking door. Like, <laughs> and I was a skinny kid. I mean, I was not like this. I was a skinny kid. I was like five, six years old. I busted through the whole damn door. Broke the lock, did not break the door jam, thankfully, but I completely broke the lock. And my parents are standing there, um, like naked. No, no, no. Oh, they, okay. they were literally just okay. like there, there was no code. There was a, you know no hanky panky. They were truly, literally just getting ready yeah. to go, whatever. And my parents were just standing there, looking at me like, "What the fuck are you doing? What have you just done?" And I'm standing there going. Wait a minute, this, this isn't how this is supposed to go. <laughs> this is not how this is supposed to work. And so my mom, and it takes them like, it was like quiet for like three or four seconds, right? And then my mom is like, Matthew James, what did you do? And I'm like, I was just trying to be like Duck Dodgers, mom, I'm sorry. So they're like, and then my dad is like, get out of here. I'm gonna, you know, so. Um, hopefully they kind of looked at each other, looked at each other and chuckled, you know, stupid <laughs> kid. I don't know. I was a, they came out and my dad discovered that the lower was broken. And so we got to add going to the hardware store to go buy a new, uh, lock configuration for the, for the door. And, uh, did he have you fix it? I helped. I mean, I helped him with it cause I was like five or six. Yeah. So it wasn't going to be a whole lot I could do. Yeah. And, um, I learned, that was the day that I learned, don't copy cartoons. <laughs> so at least it was something relatively innocuous, but uh, yeah, that was the day I learned, don't copy cartoons. Well, luckily and... it was like that, not like pushing a boulder down a cliff onto onto an enemy of some sort. <laughs> so like, does, does that story come up? Like, has it come up since then? Actually, no, it really hasn't. My my mom, I guess, is feels rather traumatized by her first marriage and... Pretty much just blocks everything out. So I guess I don't have to worry about that. And then I guess I don't know that Dad. I don't know that Dad remembers it or not. Yeah, I'll have to ask him. I'm going to see him. We're going to be going uh, up to Oklahoma City and hang out with him for the weekend on Father's Day. Mm -hmm. So I will make sure 
to ask him about that, and we'll report back for episode 185 and see what Dad has to say about, do you remember the time when I knocked down the door trying to be Daffy Duck, as in Duck Dodgers of the 24th and a half century. So title of this episode, Matt, uh, Matt Duck of the 24th century, right? Muck Rogers. <laughs> Of the 24th and a half century. So, anyways, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess we don't really have a whole lot to catch up on. No. Uh, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> it's been raining so much here. Yes. Uh, so, stor- stormy, sunny weather. Uh, uh, the- bipolar weather, barbecue, oh, well, Mexican okay. food, Tex-Mex. Well, all right. So, what, uh, what did you think of your uh, Kentucky mule that you enjoyed last night and your Jamaican mule? We, we were doing... Mule drinks. Yeah, we were last night. Mule drinks and uh, Tom Collins as well. They were good. I enjoyed them. <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about. Well, it's that. funny. Well, because it's like something like a Moscow Mule. I've only really heard slash had a Moscow Mule, and I never realized you can get a Jamaican Mule or a Kentucky Mule. So that's cool. I mean, and I still don't know what the gin one is, but you can do with gin too. Well, what is gin? Where is that predominantly known as? Like what part of you know? Oh gosh, I don't know Europe. Dutch the Dutch Mule. No, that's something else. The Dutch Mule. <laughs> A London Mule. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, at any rate, yeah, weird. Oh, they must be picking up the tr- the trash. Oh, yes, the well, Houston trash. Yes, All of trash your... day here on Monday, during the day, as we record. No, I'm sorry, next week? This is not the same. That's... From the future, yeah. we, we were with Alice. We went through the looking glass and stole the Oculus shaft. Or what is it called that she stole? The Oculus shaft. The Oculus shaft. The Oculus the cro- board. Cro- the cro- chronometer? Chronoculus? Chronoculus. Chronoculus? Sure, let's go with that. The chronopatitis? <laughs> I don't know. That's chronopatitis B. It's, it's, it's not catchy, though. I don't, don't know. Worry. Do you think it was kind of like a take on herpes? <laughs> the story of Alice through the Looking Glass? Or the story of Alice Wonderland, really? Like, she's in, she's in a STD coma... And that's all that you experience when you're suffering through STDs. You're you're in your own wonderland. Like, oh, reliving all the all the diseases that has been forced what? inside of you. And oh, what what is that? What is the STD that does that to you? Oh, really? Syphilis. This is, this is actually spawning something. Syphilis does that. Oh, cool. Uh, I mean, not cool, but like uh, glad we're having syphilis, this conversation. When uh, it, if syphilis goes untreated, it literally makes you go insane. Yeah. So maybe that's what this is, syphilis related. Uh, Lewis Carroll suffered from syphilis. I don't know. <laughs> I do know he he was su- he was suspected of having a very unnatural attraction to the kids that he uh, hung out with when he initially wrote the Alice tales. So I, you know, but I guess that's neither here nor there. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> How about if we go ahead and jump into our discussions? What Welcome back to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, shall we, shall we go and do our discussions bullshit? Yes. All right. <laughs> then I guess now it's time for... Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim, Matt and Tim discuss... 
something that means a lot to each of them. Matt will be discussing an article about Captain America and how this Civil War movie might mean a difference in the way superhero movies are presented, while Tim discusses an article on whether or not appeasing nerds actually makes movies more successful. And time travel! And now, <laughs> discussions with Matt and Tim. Woo! Did you forget that we didn't have an opening pre-recorded for that? Nope! Oh, totally didn't forget that. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that's not, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so, um... I'm glad we brought the uh, the weird announcer guy. To yes, you. that's right. He 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 traveled in the suitcase there. Uh, from what I understand, he's he he likes that. He's like the little garden gnome, right? The, the travelocity or something, right? Is that the one with the gnome? Anyway, um, yeah. So, you you want to go first? You want me to go first? Oh, I guess I can go first. So this is kind of like a two parter. Ask ask Matt a question and hear him talk about it because syphilis and children and time travel uh for both these time traveling children with syphilis that's got to be something right that's a thing isn't it it, it will be now um should that be the episode title? <laughs> uh anyway sorry Good right. question sir so so really the, the whole article is 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 the uh one of the uh, writers from io9 rob bricken published on or written on 421 of this year and he is responding to various questions that were submitted to him by readers and he's kind of answering these questions i guess he took uh, uh took some time off from the website or something i don't know but the first question uh kind of goes along with the title again does appeasing nerds actually make a movie more successful and the first question to rob Brickin and Matt Quinton is from Chris P. Is a film more successful critically or financially if it is faithful or respectful to the source material? As a nerd, I want the answer to be yes. The difference between Marvel Studios' films and BVS, Batman vs. Superman, or Fantastic Four seems to be good evidence. But are there other factors involved? Matt. What do you think? Um, I think you have to decide uh, what faithful means to you. I also think you have to decide which source material you're gonna de- you're gonna go with. Um, and both of those you have to commit fully on. You can't if you're gonna do Frank Miller Batman, then you draw from that mythos you draw from that mythos to get your characters to get your storyline um and to build the actual story you're going to tell and you use that and you don't stay away from you don't stay you don't you don't stray away from that that's where your faithfully comes in you stick to that and it becomes faithful to the source material you just have to choose the right source material and then stick with it um, so that you can build the mythos, learn from whatever mistakes or pitfalls you have, but you got to, you also have to know that you're gonna have to go for more than one movie or more than one thing. And I, I truly believe that is where the difference lies. Um, 
when it comes to DC, they just don't know what which kind of Superman they want. They don't know which kind of Batman they want. They don't know which kind of Wonder Woman they want. And so they keep, and for better, for I mean, I, I clearly for worse, they keep trying to just reboot Batman and Superman, Batman and Superman, Batman and Superman. Meanwhile, Marvel's been spending all this time building different superheroes by plugging them in properly to um, their own franchises and then tying them all in a bundle with Avengers or whatever. But they then make sure to do proper spinoffs and proper uh, franchises in their own right. Now, love them or hate them, clearly that's working. Not so for DC. Right. Um, and I think, it, they're, and again, it's because they're stuck in a fucking loop of, we only have Batman, we only have Superman. And no, you don't. You've got an ass load of different uh, superheroes and stories and everything. And as I have said a myriad of times on this show, on Johnny's show and everything else, Marvel's got the characters. DC's got the stories. I mean, the stories are just unbelievably amazing. The breadth and the depth of the writing style and team over the last, even just the last 20 years. Forget going back further than that. Just in the last 20 years, since literally 1996, are amazing. I mean, just completely amazing. And yet, none of that ever gets, none of that ever gets done. None of that ever gets drawn. Mm-hmm. And... So they are not faithful to the story material. They're not faithful to the characters, and it shows, and they suffer. Well, again, the question was, is a film more successful critically or financially if it is faithful or respectful to the source material? I would say yes. Yes. Yes, but only when you pick the right source material and only when you are truly faithful by sticking to it no matter what. Yeah, and and, uh, before I uh, read what Rob Bricken or Brickle, whatever his name is, said, uh, I yeah I, I think definitely yes and especially it will prove to be more finance finance financially successful over time because people that love the source material will continue to revisit the films that are faithful to the source material. Uh, and according to this guy Rob, the answer is a qualified yes. If studios made movies slow solely, specifically according to the source material, it would be a nightmare for everyone, including the fans. Think how much stuff has been retconned or swept under the rug, or even just been deemed terrible for every single comic book character. And imagine trying to uh, trying to somehow make any of it make sense for mass audiences or nerds, for that matter. We all have different ideas of what constitutes canon based on the specific comics and cartoon and shows we've enjoyed, often tied when we enjoyed them. Not even all nerds could stand for their comic movies to be too accurate. That said, there is a generally accepted sense of canon about each and every fictional character. It could be big and elaborate, it could be small and vague, and th- uh, but there's still a kind of base level that the majority of nerds want accurate. Marvel Studios has been very good at this, and Nolan's Dark Knight movies got a lot more right than they did wrong, and these movies have been both critically and financially well-received. The thing is, it's not being comics accurate that is directing uh, that is directly causing this success yes keeping the nerds happy is good because nerds bitch online constantly about anything that displeases them myself totally included more than most people as i'm actually paid for it and we're generally loud enough now that we can uh, that we can affect how the general public makes 
uh, or a public anticipates a movie. But the key here is that if a bunch of people love a character or a series or a property and have loved it for up to 80 or so years, chances are there's a specific reason for that, that they're pretty good already. All these things are beloved for who and what they are, not because people have been waiting around thinking, oh, these Deadpool, uh, these Deadpool comics are okay, but I'm really reading them in hopes that one day Holly, Hollywood will make a live-action version where the character is completely different. People like Deadpool because he's funny, violent, crass, and extremely comic booky. and guess what? Someone made a movie where Deadpool is funny, violent, crass, and extremely comic booky, and it turns out mass audiences like the character that way too. Deadpool didn't need to be fixed, or improved, most things don't. Happen to agree with what he says there? Overall, yes. Yeah, <clears throat> fair enough. Uh, and then the last one here, which I think is more fun, entertaining, and I we've been on the subject of time travel now for a solid two weeks straight, Matt. <laughs> Robert N. wrote into this guys article dear mr postman hello from the past mr postman i have a question for you regarding time travel movies and what counts and doesn't count as one every february i watch a time travel movie a day with friends i'm always happy to field requests but every year i get some suggestions that don't quite feel right specifically movies where the protagonist travels into the future via suspended animation magic cryogenic freezing etc and wakes up in a futuristic society I can mostly get behind the idea that Austin Powers and Idiocracy are time travel movies. But if the main characters can't get back to his or her earlier time, is it really a time travel movie? Because if so, then I've got to add titles like Encino Man and Timothy Hutton's Iceman, and then where does it stop? You can see my conundrum. And after having this conversation half a dozen times every February 1st, I figured only a postman from the future would be able to settle this once and for all. Uh, I know, Matt, we spoke about this a little bit last night. What do you think? What is your position on what constitutes as a time travel movie or not? Um, I would say success, um, something where you are able to uh, move backwards and forwards within time. It's not just enough to um, to jump forward unless you have the... Even if they don't, but you must have the ability to go back. So it's something that allows you to be able to shift the flow of time one way or the other and um, have an impact on it. Right. So. Yeah, and that's exactly what he pretty much says here. If the He responds with, If the device that transports characters into a different time cannot go backward, it is not a time machine. It is a suspended animation device. Yes, people who get in one technically travel to the future, but only like you or I are also currently traveling into the future by existing and perceiving the fourth dimension uh, literally. If I fell asleep for 20 years outside of some sort of machine, would I have time traveled? If I fell asleep for eight hours, would I also have time traveled? No, of course not. Time travel are time machines and things that merely stop you from aging while time passes are two different things. Unfortunately, this means that the first Austin Powers movie isn't time travel, but the first, uh, but the two sequels are. And there you go. There you have it. So if you have any questions or any thoughts on, on time traveling out there, we're looking at you... 
fellow podcasting friends or that we kind <laughs> our, of talked to. Hashtag Potter and family. <laughs> yeah, do let us know what you think because I have a feeling some of you would be very vocal about this sort of thing. Either thing, really. I, I, and I agree. And again, you can reach out to us by sending an email to the show at slscast.com or uh, tweeting at us at the SLScast on Twitter. Um, very cool. So just those two questions or? That's it for me. All right. Well, my, my thing that I really care about that I wanted to talk about is from vulture.com. Now this is from last month, but I thought this was a really cool idea and it's something that, uh, is worth discussing. This is an article by Adam Sternberg and it's, uh, again from vulture.com. Captain America Civil War proves you can make a superhero movie that doesn't end with a near apocalypse. Uh, the idea here, let's see here. Do, 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 do. All right. In the, in the paragraph, I'll, um, I'm going to jump. It's a very lengthy article, not going to read the whole thing. Uh, so I'm going to jump through it as best as I can here for you. So I apologize if there's any kind of stutters there, but we go. The critical response to Captain America Civil War has fallen roughly into two camps. The quote, it's an impressive juggling act slash thrill ride, end quote, thumbs up, and the quote, ho-hum, here we go with another overstuffed superhero epic, end quote, thumbs down, or, more accurately, thumbs sideways. <clears throat> what has not been widely noted, or at least not widely enough, is the radical way in which Civil War not only diverges from recent superhero films, including the previous Captain America movies, but from the conventional wisdom about modern blockbusters. Uh, in Civil War, the world is not at stake. Humanity is not endangered. There isn't an enormous planet-hopping extinction-level villain. Or, in the parlance of these films, a, quote, big bad, end quote. In fact, for much of the movie, there is no real villain at all, which is as impressive and audacious as an innovation in this genre as we've seen in quite a while. It becomes gospel in Hollywood that when it comes to action tentpoles, it's no longer enough for the hero to save the girl or even to save his own soul. He has to save the world. The lady tied to the railroad track stakes of yesteryear just don't cut it anymore and now the train has to be packed with zombies and or carrying a mysterious space cube with unimaginable powers dirty harry let's rewrite the ending so harry clips the wire on a nuclear bomb die hard call me back when hans gruber has his hands on a virus that might start a global pandemic in 2013 Damon Lindelof who's written and rewritten several franchise blockbusters described this phenomenon somewhat wearily as Quote, story gravity, end quote. Quote, once you spend more than $100 million on a movie, you have to save the world, end quote, Lindelof explained, articulating the primary maxim of the new rules of blockbuster filmmaking. Um, so it goes on from there and basically discusses how it's um, a whole bunch of people punching each other and fighting things out, but in terms of x-men apocalypse it was truly like the end of the world as we saw uh even in captain america winter soldier you know you've got the entirety of hydra infiltrating all of the helicarriers and all that kind of stuff and taking over the world and trying to stop that there um and uh for what it's worth while it's not quite on the same level but even guardians of the galaxy they're literally going to save the entire planet by keeping the Infinity Gem from actually touching the the planet's surface. Um, so, uh, BVS had um, Doomsday, right, where they're trying to save the entire planet from this from from the nuclear creature, whatever. 
And yet in this one, it's just a bunch of people fighting each other, right? They're, they, they have what the, what they reference in moral ambiguity. Um, and what I like here is that, let's see here. It says, and going into, going further in your article is that all of which is what makes civil war so revelatory and even revolutionary, at least within the superhero genre. It's absent an actual bad guy. No Thanos, no Loki, not even good old Dr. Doom. A traditional seeming villain appears briefly at the beginning in the form of a former shield turncoat crossbones, but he is quickly blown to smithereens. Uh, let's see here. And then they move into, um, who the real bad guy is, which is this guy named Zemo. Zemo has not, um, let's see here, uh, Helmet Zemo who himself is motivated by the loss of his family. Zemo has no powers. He's not by any stretch a big bad. He's definitely not big, and in the end, he's not even really that bad. At least not within the context of movies that typically end with people fighting giant piles of reanimated sludge. Um, and, the, and, and it closes with this final sentence. Of course, by the time... Uh, two sentences. Of course, by the time Avengers Infinity Wars arrives, we'll be back to battling over cosmic stones. But if a few more blockbusters follow Civil War's example, that wouldn't be the end of the world. So, what do you think, Tim? Do you think that, despite the flaws, because I know you, as uh, as has come to be expected in your... In your experience. That how much I love Marvel movies? Right. <laughs> but just in terms of uh, looking at it from through the lens of there was no extinction level event, right? Uh, this was truly um, both two sides of superheroes that truly thought that they were right. Um, duking it out on an airport tarmac. I mean, you know, so even your... Uh, even the, the the collateral damage is limited to a plane and a hangar. So yeah, and it's I mean without taking into consideration all the the other problems I had with the movie story wise, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it's what made minus the ending battle, but it's what made Winter Soldier a lot of fun. You know, is because it's kind of a smaller and what they called a, 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 a the political thriller of marvel movies you mm. know it's kind of more a little bit constrained from all the big explosion over the top shit until of course they had the big helicarrier right. fight scene you know and it's good it's just all about how you handle it now it because it was a smaller idea i i appreciate and i liked a lot and that could be attributed to what i you know the what I did enjoy the movie was because of that aspect, but it's still about how you handle it. I mean, you could still have your near apocalypse into the world movie and it could still work and be entertaining and effective, but it's all about how you handle it with civil war. You have all of these characters and you have all the, the the development issues and the plot issues within all that that still just doesn't work, and so it, it, you know, like, even the smaller action set pieces, or the stakes, they could be smaller, but even that could feel even overblown. It's all about how it's handled. You know, like, you could still have a same type of action set piece that you could see when an entire city is at stake, 
And, it, you know, it would still feel and look the same if it's at an airport. For example, when Ant-Man becomes Big Man. Giant gi- Man. Yeah, Giant Man, you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, the idea of it is fun and entertaining, but was it really handled the best way? Does it fit? Did it look good? Were the effects good? And, like, the effects, and I think you were talking about this, Hal, the effects really doesn't look good, especially when you have all the Avengers in, you know, sharing a screen. Yeah, it was a little bit wonky there. I, I, I mean, it definitely was not apocalypse level bad by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But, um, it was, it was obvious. It was definitely immersion breaking. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's not pretty to look at. Not saying that big action CGI movies have to be completely pretty to look at, but you can tell it's a, it's a blue screen, green screen fest, right. you know. So that's what I'm saying. It, it, it all depends on how it is made and how it is being uh, being displayed, you know. So to me, it really doesn't matter if it is a big, you know, world-ending city anything. Well, and, and that's fine. And, and I think that is really where the beauty of the new Marvel series on Netflix shines. Because oh, Daredevil? Like and, Daredevil, Jessica yeah, yeah. Jones, uh, Luke Cage is coming up here in a couple months. And then next year, I guess, we'll get Iron Fist. Um, and even then, they're going to combine to be the defenders. Yeah. So, um, and, and of course, uh, minor spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, you should already know Punisher is in this. Elektra is mm-hmm. in, um, is in Daredevil now. And so, you have, uh, uh, and that's what it is. It's because it's so small focused and it's zeroed in on just Hell's Kitchen, right? Um, sure, it's, the battle for Hell's Kitchen, right? Which is an amalgam, I guess you could say, of, oh, the battle for the world, because it's it's their world, it's the world they live in. But it takes its time to really just be like, let's tell the stories of these characters, let's tell the stories of these people. Yeah. And I think that that's something, and I, and I think what you're getting at, and I think what more superhero movies could do, is spend more time on that. Let that actually be what the movie is going to be about so that yeah if they come together and have to quote unquote save the world um there was still true time to be a character true because that's what that's what ultimately happened you got to actually see these people kind of develop um on both sides of this argument which is what caused the fight at the end yeah and so there is again yeah there is no world level event but because they actually took the time to literally just this is what these people are these are what these people are about and these are the reasons why they fight the way that they do um i think it would lead a lot better versus just your generic things yeah and it's it's the build-up to the payoffs too you know no matter what the payoff is with all the you know superhero movies there is a payoff you know whether it's like a reveal or a you know fight scene of whatever size and i i think dc uh i think marvel has the payoff the building of the payoff sucks but with dc they have the building kind of like what you were talking about before they have the narrative down but the payoffs are very are, are underwhelming really, yeah. you know so it's like with the lat with man of steel and batman vs superman the payoff is just this long drawn out you know, the entire last act of the movie is right. the payoff. And it's the same thing with, like, Dark Knight Returns, the third Nolan movie. You know, the entire last movie is the payoff, you know. Right. And so that's where that movie kind of fails, you know. And it, it's all about story. And the payoff has to match 
what is leading up to it. And what is leading up to the pay payoff has to match narratively what the payoff is, if that makes any sense. Sure. And so, in your view, then, it's it, it's the narrative flow of the building of it to the payoff. And whether that payoff is save your town, save your city, save yourself, or save the world, the the narrative leading up to it has to be good and the payoff has to work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. I think we have solved yet another of the world's problems here on Discussions <laughs> with Matt and Tim. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, uh, shall, shall we, uh, I think that, uh, do, do we have anything else we want to add to that? I think that's it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, well then, in that case, that brings us to the end of yet another edition of Discussions with Matt and Tim. Next time, the bonus segment will be a very special Three Squared, proposed by Tim, where we discuss the best villain songs in movies. Thank you for joining us on Discussions with Matt and Tim. All right. So, uh, I think we're at uh, the movies now, aren't we, uh, I believe that will be the next thing, yes. All right, then here we go, folks. It's... The Movies! <sighs> All right, and this week we have two wonderful, amazing, high-content quality movies available on Netflix... The Do-Over, Adam Sandler's latest foray into Netflix movie making. And Kindergarten Cop 2, the film where Dolph Lundgren said, I didn't initially want to touch it because it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, but since I've never done a comedy before... Or produced. (laughs) Oh, man. Let's just get that one over with. Let's All just right. talk about Kindergarten Cop 2. All right. Kindergarten Cop 2. Maybe. Good Lord. Why is this thing not working? There we go. All right. Kindergarten Cop 2. Let's do it. I like the S&M leather padding you have over your Thank iPad. you. Yes, it actually comes with a really badass magnetic keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard, and then it Fancy. Yes, it's very, very swanky. All right, Kindergarten Cop 2, 2016 American comedy film starring Dolph Lundgren and directed by Don Michael Paul. It is the sequel to the 1990 comedy film Kindergarten Cop starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and it was released direct to DVD in the United States on May 17th. So there is that. Um, Bill Bellamy is also in this movie. Um, he plays the partner uh, uh, of Dolph Lundgren. So anyways, all right. So basically, we've got a FBI agent played by Dolph Lundgren who is uh, out to save the world of witness protection because even though U.S. Marshals are in charge of witness protection, somehow the FBI are the people who need to go and retrieve the list, it was, uh, the, the F, the, the WITSEC list was the entirety of it. So both sides, right? To the people who are the, the, the new identities as well as who they really were. 
has been compromised, has been stolen, and it's on a USB drive at a school of all places. So Dolph Lundgren goes undercover to be a school teacher for kindergartners at this um, uppity, really expensive private school in the Seattle area. Uh, where it's all about feelings and being happy and take care of each other and everybody's, you know, got nut allergies and blah, 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 blah. And as, as in peanuts. Yes, peanut allergies, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, again, dealing with kids, we don't, not those kind of nut allergies. What's the matter with you? Anyway. Syphilis. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, for those of you who know what Reddit is, Dolph Lundgren did an AMA last week. <laughs> so Google that and go read it. He talks briefly about Kindergarten Cop 2 in this AMA. Um, I just, I don't even know where to begin. This movie is just bad. Well, you press play. You 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 sat down to watch it. <laughs> in brief, like, I think I'm, the most I made it in one shot was 13 minutes. <laughs> Before I had to get up and do something or stop it or put it down or do it. So, oh man, it was rough. Uh, it was rough. And, with- I, and I thought even the drinking that we did last night would help me get through the last of it. No. Can I ask you a question? Like, wh- why, with all of these tough, older uh, man action guys from back in the day, like Sylvester Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger, like... They're, they're newer movies. It's like they're midlife crisis movies. Like, the, the pads that they live in, they always live at some, like, cool, like, hometown lake area. Like, he right. lives on a lake. And they're always grilling. Like, they're but, really up, but up in the grilling. Does, but go to he biker does bars. live in a trailer. So I'll give him that. At least but he's by a lake. He's the only one living at a lake. True. Which true. is kind he's of funny. He's lake and he's grilling. Although it was pretty funny in the grilling scene, well in one of the many grilling scenes, but the first primary grilling scene where he's got the corn on the grill and he's got I like how he grilled the steak for all of like 30 seconds. You know, it's just just enough to get the fingerprints off of it and throw it on the plate. And I'm a guy that loves medium rare. Give me some bloody steak, I'm good. But I mean, you know, more just okay. So that was uh pretty good. Yeah, I don't know why they have to do that. I guess again just everything to embody. Because it's juxtaposition, right? That's what's funny. It's the juxtaposition of super amazing tough guy to sensitive, cares about love. And they like hammocks. Friends. They always have a hammock. Oh, like, God. to me, that is, like, I, that's how I would have lived. Like, in some weird way, they embody my macho man fantasy of, man, if I had muscles and if I was, like, rich and... Currently a C or D or E list action celebrity. I would totally <laughs> want to live by a lake in some neighborhood right by a highway. Sure. <laughs> or, you know, or, or live on the Puget Sound right next to the bridge. It's not the Narrows Bridge. I don't even remember. Bainbridge Island Bridge, I think, anyway. Which is clearly some place that these people in the movie should really never be able to afford anyway. Give it. I don't know. All right, so... Um, there's not, there's really nothing redeemable about this movie other than for me, it takes place in Seattle. And I thought it was kind of funny the way that the fruity school, you know, coddled the kids. And that was something for me that you would actually see in Seattle because they have literally gone off the deep end with that shit. So 
that was cute, and that's the only star it gets. I hated this movie. It is not worth your time. Please do not go see it. It's not zero fucking stars worthy, um, because they at least tried. <laughs> they at least tried, but do not watch this movie unless you're wishing it on your enemy, or maybe you are thinking of having a go at some riff tracks or something like that, and you want to really test your metal. Uh, that would be about the only way I could consider you watch or recommending you watch this movie. One star. Stay the fuck away. Uh, there's really not much to say about it other than uh, I don't know who this movie was made for. Like, there's adult humor in it, but that kids shouldn't really be exposed to, at least I think. And then there is, like, really dumb kid humor. I'm talking probably worse than Beethoven's Big Break. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of like stretching it there, but it might be worse than Beethoven's Big Break. <laughs> and that adults don't want to sit through it. In fact, I started watching it and was maybe 35 minutes into it and realized, uh, I got to finish packing. And so I had it on while I was finished packing and getting ready to, you know, leave for Texas the next day. So I, I, it's just not, not good. But it didn't piss me off, and I think that's what really makes a zero fucking star movie for me, is that if it really, like, really annoys me, this is one that you'll try to watch, and then you'll forget about it completely. In fact, I told Matt that you can watch the movie, turn it off for about 25 minutes, come back, or, or uh, leave the room for 25 minutes, come back, you didn't miss a single thing, you can just pick right back up on it. Um, and that's pretty much all it deserves, review-wise, one out of five. Very cool. All right. Well, then, moving to our next and final movie for this week is the 2016 American action and comedy film directed by Stephen Brill, starring Adam Sandler and David Spade, the Netflix-produced Do-Over. The Do-Over. Yes. All right. Now, I know what you're thinking, but guys, you hated on Ridiculous 6 so bad you refused to review it. This is true, but this one's not bad. I mean, it's not great. I, I, I will not say it's a great movie, but this is, um, for, for someone in definitely my age group, and I know Tim is a little younger for it, but I would probably still saw it and still appreciated it. If you grew up on a steady diet of the, of, uh, I'm almost at the hangover. What the fuck? No. <laughs> Of Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, right? Uh, those movies. And you grew up with that, Adam Sandler? This is the movie for the adult version of you now, of that. Because the chemistry that these guys have, and I know it's that they're chemistry and that they're friends and everything like that, and it, and it just translates on screen, but you can really see them genuinely acting. And they're good at it. I mean, for a change, they're legitimately good at it. Moreover, they have just enough of the toilet humor, but it's grown-up version of that toilet humor that you loved back when you were watching Billy Madison and uh, and Happy Gilmore and whatnot. Um, and so you get that reminiscence you get that 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 feeling of nostalgia but at the same time it's happening now in 2016 and the plot is halfway decent i mean it it's um i know tim's going to talk a little bit more about this so i won't take it away from him but there's not a lot of things that are forced on you even though it's really predictable um 
but it's I still found myself laughing. Um, I still found myself having a good time with it. But don't kid yourself. It's not the greatest movie in the world. Um, some of the jokes get pretty tired by the end. Uh, the, the way that they make you feel specifically about David Spade's character in this film really kind of grates by the end of the movie because even though he has learned and moved and, and he's grown as a character, um, it, they still try to play on the original stuff that made him a, an idiot in the first place. So I give this one 3.25. Um, cause I was kind of tearing between 3 and 3.25, but honestly, I can say that I enjoyed it enough to, to bump it up to 3.25. Um, if you've been missing Adam Sandler, there's a, there's a glimpse of what you've been missing in this movie. I, I don't know that I'm looking forward to the next one, but maybe there's hope. So that's what I got. 3.25. Bring it home, Tim. So I saw the trailer for it whenever they released it, and I I thought it was interesting. And I happened to be looking for something to watch at midnight uh, the Friday morning that it was released. So I thought, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I may or may not have been under the influence of certain things and <laughs> thought it was a good idea. And to be honest, um, I I was ready to turn it off about... 14 or 20 minutes into it, I, I, I don't get easily offended, but some of the jokes were just really like, guys, you're being fucking douchebags. Like, you're being assholes. You are the people that I fucking hate with the jokes and the tree and the mistreatment of women. And it's not like they were, tr it didn't even feel like they were trying to be funny as much as they were just trying to be assholes. And in that, they were, in the, and in that, they were trying to be funny because being an asshole is, so hilarious, you know, degrading women and stuff. But it's they're degrading women at the beginning indirectly. It's really, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know. But once the story kind of kicks in, like the initial story kicks in, it actually starts getting good. The story gets a little entertaining. It becomes kind of like a mystery in a way, and the jokes are pretty good. And it's definitely the care, uh, the chemistry between Spade and Sandler that really does work. And the reason why it didn't work for like Joe Dirt 2 and, uh, Ridiculous 6 is because of the director, Stephen Brill. Stephen Brill was the guy who directed, uh, The Wedding Singer. I think he also did Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. I don't know if he did Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, but he did a number of the, the, you know, Ab Sandler's classics. I think he even did 50 First Dates also. So you can expect there to be well thought out, good comedy, but also a little bit more, I don't know if heart is the word, but maybe a little bit of forced drama without giving anything away there at the We haven't end. even given away the plot now that I think about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's basically, <laughs> uh, yeah, two friends, uh, two high... Reconnect at a high school reunion, end up going on a semi-vacation where uh, one has has a master plan to fake their deaths and start over with a whole lot of cash. Yeah, and uh, Adam Sandler is the FBI agent guy who fakes the deaths. David Spade is the loser dude with a hot wife who's cheating on him with this other guy from there. High school or high school reunion or yeah. something like that. It's and, Sean Astin, though. It was pretty funny. 
Was that really Sean Astin? I had no idea. Yeah. Was it really? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, well, I might need to go back and rewatch <laughs> that opening. Uh, so, the, I mean, so with it being directed by a seasoned Sandler director, it has a lot going for it. And that's what ultimately makes the movie entertaining. Is it good? It's not good. I mean, you, I mean, the bar was set so low with a lot of other Sandler movies that it was kind of refreshing and entertaining to watch it. It's a little overlong, and especially with some of the more dramatic elements, they really kind of force it for you know for a big chunk of the movie. But whenever I did laugh, they were hearty laughs. Uh, the some of the gross-out gags, like uh, sweaty balls, was funny. But but what was funny? And what kind of paid off is that, yeah, the gr- yeah, it was kind of gross to watch, but it was how Sandler's character, like, how they would kind of, like, poke fun at each other. And it was like the little jabs that kind of spawned from a bigger gag. Right. They, you know, they created, you know, smaller gags out of it. And it was kind of fun, and it looked like two friends kind of, you know, reconnecting. Really actually. Having a good time. Yeah. And that's what they try to do with their other movies, or Sandler has tried to do with his other movies, but it doesn't really work. To the same effect, you know, and I think it's because this story actually works. It's actually a story in a movie that's entertaining. Let me ask you a question, though. What? Why do you think Michael Chiklis was in this movie? I have no idea oh, what yeah. connection he has to Adam Sandler. And he wasn't even good. I mean, that's the thing. Like, nobody was really that good outside of the core <laughs> cast, you know. Which is just the two of them. Exactly, I mean, yeah, so yeah. I just thought it was, you know, I mean, the, he's in two scenes... There, I mean, I got the humor of both scenes, but it's just like, why Michael Chick? I just don't know why it was him. Yeah, that, that would be my. If, I guess if I had the question to ask Adam, why him for that part? And are they doing a Reddit AMA anytime uh, soon? No, I don't. I doubt it. I'm not sure. So, uh, let's see. I don't know. Did I mention anything else last night about the movie that I haven't already covered? Nope. Just down the to director the score. score. Okay, so uh, because the bar was set so low, I, I mean, there was definitely enjoyment. But I think if this movie came out, you know, when all the others came out, I, I mean, I think it would have still received negative reviews because it doesn't, it's not, I mean, the jokes aren't consistent enough and the quality of the jokes aren't, aren't consistent either. But whenever you do laugh, they're pretty decent laughs and well well-deserved. But I can't say that I flat out liked it, so I'm going to land on 2.75 out of 5. Sweet. So, good job, Adam Adam Sandler. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we're going to surprise you with the movies next week. Oh, well, uh, what's coming out? I don't know what we're doing. The Conjuring 2 will be out, if you want to see The Conjuring 2. Um, And one other thing is going to be out. Let's see here. Uh, so you have The Conjuring 2. There's a, isn't like some Disney movie coming out pretty quick or something? When is there not a Disney movie no, coming out? No, but I mean, I think like, there's supposed to be like an actual like movie movie that was like, comes out on June 14th. Oh yeah, Finding Dory. Oh, Finding Dory. <laughs> so we will review. We should probably watch that. That's a Pixar movie. There mm-hmm. you go. <clears throat> so Finding Dory and The Conjuring 2. It's supposed to be great, apparently. Um. Yeah. So we just want to do those two. Oh uh, yeah, that's fine with me. Keep it simple. Yeah. You'll be coming back from traveling. I'll be getting ready to travel myself. So yeah, yeah just a two movie. Me, we'll, we'll keep it light. Make up for January and February where there we had go. like eighteen movies a week. 
Um, yeah, cool. All right, so then those are going to be the movies for next week. Finding Dory and The Conjuring Part 2. And without anything else, I think it's down to the spiel, is it not? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music you've been listening to for our segment intros and stuff has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can find them at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. The exceptions for that would be our discussions music, which comes from MuseOpen.org. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart's desire. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. I am totally overdoing this to make Tim laugh uncomfortably yeah, right now. It looks like your orgasm face. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the guy that got, uh, it's, it's, your the, eyes are rolling in the back of your head and you're looking up. And no, it it's the like, guy from, uh, your, it's the guy from your shoot that got tasered. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Tim, I get to say this. Shut the fuck up, Matt. Don't fucking talk about that shit, Matt. That's what he's thinking right now. Take your cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>